we'll get started. Let me uh, start off with a word of prayer, and we'll get into class. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings you give us, and we thank you for the opportunity we have and the freedom we have to come and worship you, to, to study your word, to sing to you, and, and, and just learn from, from everything that you've done for us. Lord, I just ask that you take what we've learned and what we'll learn today and take it out into the world and use it to bring others to Christ, Lord, and allow that to be our, our primary focus is, is to go out and, and bring others to you. Lord, we ask that you please be with all those who are sick. we we got several who are. just ask that you be with them and help them recover. We ask that you be with us as we hopefully slowly come out of this pandemic, that we can kind of get back to a normal way of life and kind of get back to maybe a little bit of how things used to be, but maybe use an opportunity to, to not go back to how we used to be, but maybe do something different, Lord. I ask that you be with a lot of the issues that are going on in this country right now, Lord, there's a lot of hate, there's a lot of division, a lot of us versus them type mentality, Lord, and I just ask that you would allow us to come together in unity, especially in the church, and to be an example of what unity is supposed to be like and what coming together and show them the good Christian example that, that they need to see, Lord. Be with us as we go through this class, and it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're on a, a theme that I've done, um, or that I just went into uh, my last lesson, kind of kind of kicked off into this. And, it, and it, I called it Me, My, I. It kind of goes along, the, along the, the idea of the me, myself, and I. And, and it's not in the selfish sense, but more in the, the last year or so, we, we've taken a look at, the church, I think, more as a whole than, than from an individual level. And this, the idea around this is to bring it down to an individual level of how to apply the Bible to myself and how to look at myself and, and kind of that I and, and the me, the factor of who we are supposed to be as Christians. And so we started this series called Who Are You? And, and, and then Going to Be is the question. And we're looking at Ephesians 2.10. And the last, not last week, but um, my last lesson was titled, It's Your Funeral. And the idea around that is, what's going to be said about you when you die? Not from the pulpit, right, or from the stage or, or whatever, you know. Not the, the nice things that they have to say about you while, you're, while you, they, they're up there talking about you. But what, you know, that day that, that your funeral happens, what are the people that are standing in the back or standing in the side having the side conversations? What are they going to say about you and your character and who you were? And the idea around that and kind of the bottom line was your character, not your competency, not the things that you accomplish, not what you, you know, not how popular you are or those type of things, determines who you are and how you're going to be remembered. You could be a multimillionaire. You could be, you know, the mo one of the most successful people in your field. But if you're a jerk, that's what you're going to be remembered for. And so your 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 character is kind of what we're we're looking at. And so we're we're going to continue that today. And the title of today's lesson is, is slowly selling your soul. And I, I think this is a problem. I would say 
and probably a problem that's been going on for a while, not only in the church, but in, in, a, in a lot of Christian lives, is we've kind of sold our soul on an individual level, and I think even on maybe on a church level at some point, to certain th- different things, whether it's politics, whether it's, you know, our social media, whether it's entertainment, alcohol, drugs, different things that we've slowly allowed to become normal and, and, and part of our lives. And there's a lot more that I've got listed here that I could go through. But it, it, it's interesting to see, especially over the last couple of weeks, I think we've seen more and more, especially in the Christian world. I mean, the non-Christian world, I expect them, or we should, anyways, expect them to act in non-Christian ways, right? I mean, we shouldn't be shocked when someone who's not a Christian acts as though they're not a Christian. I, I, don't, I, I still don't understand why to this day that shocks a lot of us, or, or we'll get upset by that kind of thing. I mean, I, I understand a little bit of it, but it's like, we should expect them to. But the thing I think that's bothered me more than anything over the last couple of weeks is it seems like, especially around certain topics, that Christians are more, I don't want to say hateful, but I, I don't know what word to use here, but harsh, maybe, less loving, less empathetic than the actual world is. You know, and, and I, and I, you know, I've tried to do a lot of watching, watching a lot of different things, and and I watch some news media. I don't watch a lot of it, but even the stuff that you you do see and you and you get on there. But then the the behind the scenes stuff that you look at and and you see is, and I feel like it's just sometimes that we have really sold our soul sometimes to either being right or to a particular political party or to a particular flag, or to a particular country. You know, and while some of these things are important, none of it's more important than who we are as Christians and who we're supposed to be. You know, the United States of America is not going to be around forever. And in the end, it's not going to matter, really, once you're dead and gone. God's not going to be like, well, what citizen, or how loyal were you to your country, or how loyal were you to a flag, or how loyal to you were to you to a political party, I guarantee you none of those questions are going to be asked when you're sitting in front of God. And so I wanted to focus a little bit on this selling of our soul and, and how we've kind of slowly done it over the last, I don't know, I want to say probably the last 50 to 60 years. I think there's been a slow, you know, it's not something, you, you don't wake up, we don't wake up tomorrow and find ourselves, you know, doing living morally one day and then the ne- very next day, just in a, in a total situation we shouldn't be in. That's not typically how it works, and we're, and we're going to look at that, and that's why it's called soul, slowly selling your soul. So what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at one of probably the Bible's most godly men. And we're going to look at how he sold his soul slowly, and in the end, pretty much almost lost everything for it. And I don't know, anyone think, got an idea where we're going? David, 2 Samuel, right? And I'm gonna, we're actually going to go through the entire chapter of 2 Samuel 11, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. 
So start in 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 27. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, so it starts this line off. I, I like the way this, and I know, I'm pretty sure this is done on purpose. David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. So the first problem there is David was not where he was supposed to be. He started out, this, this chapter starts out with when the kings normally went out, David stayed behind. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So David was not where he was supposed to be. How many of us get caught up in something because we are not where we are supposed to be? Or we're on something that we're not supposed to be on? It starts when you, when you first start that of doing something that you, you shouldn't be doing or somewhere you shouldn't have been or a focus where you shouldn't have been focusing. Late one afternoon... So David's not where he's supposed to be, and now, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got up out of bed and was walking around on the roof of the palace. So he's just, he's done whatever, he took a nap, and now he's up walking around on the roof. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Nothing wrong with that. that, that something like that can happen. We could be walking around the, the mall, we could be who knows where and see someone of unusual beauty, right? How you get that all the time, right? People see you like, man. <laughs> that's not, the, that's not the, the, the fault here. <laughs> that's not the fault here. Well, took baths on the roof. That, yep. that was Yep. Why David was able yeah. to see why. So, uh, so, and to that point, because a lot of times, and we'll talk about this, a lot of times people will, will kind of condemn Bathsheba as if she did this on purpose, right? She was trying to lure, lure David. I, I've seen some of that in the research, and that's not the case. That was a normal thing, and more, and more than likely it was actually more of a courtyard-type thing on, on a roof, and, and we'll get into why she was doing it here in a little bit. So here's where the problem starts. He sent someone to find out who it, she was. Well, maybe that's not bad. He's king. He's allowed to have however many wives he wants. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Urah, the Hittite. Okay, so all right, well, that's, that's who that is, right? She's married. And, and I like how it put this in here. She's the daughter of. And, and this is an interesting thing, I think, to look at when it comes to some, especially like lust and, 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 and women, I think, sometimes in our society, is everyone belongs or is attached to someone. All right? So that, that girl you might lust after, that might be someone's wife. That definitely is someone's daughter. Right? And, and so I like how it puts in there that this is the daughter of so-and-so, and that, that was, I don't know if that was necessarily necessary, but basically I think what he's saying is you know who this is, right? Okay, that's fine. I was just a little curious. Now I can stop right there. I was just wondering who it was, but no. 
Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification. And this is part of the reasons why she was taking the bath, the purification rites after having her period. Then she returned home. There's a lot of... Scholars have a lot of different views on this. I know my personal one, just from the research I've done. More than likely in this situation, well, one in this situation, she didn't have a choice, right? She couldn't say no. Well, she could have, but even then he probably still would have. Because what it looks like in this point, it, and let me put it this way, in today's day and age, more than likely we would consider this rape. It's someone using their power, their authority, to force someone to do something they normally probably wouldn't do. And the reason I say that is if you go in in the next chapter in Samuel, Samuel talks to David about how this was a, 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 what he did. And he uses an, uh, an analogy, and David doesn't realize he's talking about David, about how you know, basically he took advantage of a, of a pure lamb. And, and, and to basically to them. So the, the, the king basically could say to someone, go get me that woman because I want to sleep with her, and they would do that. And that's what happened in this place. Now, a lot of times we don't like to look at it that way because, and I don't know, we, we, we're going to get into the murder side of it a little bit, but the, the thought of that, that's kind of a rough thought. There's no indication that this was something she wanted to do. But when the king tells you to come and do something, and then day and age you did it. Consensual, which yeah. I believe she was not. Yeah. But even if she was, he still she's married, David's married, it's adultery, it's against God's law, so he's sinning regardless. Yep. The fact that he forced her added to the sin. Yeah. Yeah. So he does this and then she's returned home, right? All right. He got what he wanted, sent her home. Well then a problem arises. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she went to David, sent a message to David saying, I'm pregnant. What you do, right? So then all of a sudden, David's caught in a trap. And what am I going to do? So he comes up with this, this strategy. I know what I'll do. David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah arrived, he's trying to mask it under, well, I need an update on the war. How's the war going? David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, now, all right, thank you for your update. You know, he didn't need to get Uriah to get an update on the war. He had Joab. Joab could have told me the war was going. He said, okay, thank you for the update. Go on home and relax. And then he sends a gift. He said he even sent a gift to Uriah he had left the, after he had left the palace. But here's the thing. Uriah had more character than David did. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter with you? Right? You've been away for months. You have a beautiful wife at home. Why in the world are you not going home and taking advantage of this situation that I've presented before you? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And I like this, this next section, and I'm, maybe this is my take of it, but I think Uriah kind of insults David 
and I don't know if he did it on purpose, but, but he digs at him a little bit, and then, he, and then he goes on a little bit. He says, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in open fields. You know, for the very first verse of this is David. This is where David's supposed to be. David should be camping in this field. How could I go to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? Basically, the very thing that David had just did. I swear that I would never do such a thing. So I read into this. I, I, I try to think of this conversation, how this would play out. You know, David's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you not going and doing, you know, your, your home, your wife's over there. Why are you not? And basically he says, I'm not like you, David. I've got more character than that. I would never do such a thing. So David, I got a feeling that David was probably, I mean, you know he's upset, he's scared, I think a little bit here. He said, well, stay here today. So he's coming up with another strategy. David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. So that night, David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. He's like, surely if I get him drunk, he'll lose all his moral, you know, his, his moral ability and his, and his ethics and he'll he'll go and and do what he needs to do but even then he couldn't get uriah to go home drunk uriah had more character than david did again he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard so the next morning david wrote a letter to joab and gave it to uriah to deliver the letter instructed joab Station your eye on the front lines where the battle is fierce. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So basically, David is writing Uriah's death sentence and having Uriah deliver his own death sentence to Joab. He doesn't know it. Obviously, they seal it. He doesn't open the letter. So... Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And this is the, the interesting thing here, and in, in if you research the way that, that militaries and, and combat and, and how they would have do fighting at this time, we're, we're going to see that a little bit more here. But it's interesting how this, this plays out. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, so if you'll, you'll see here, and this, this is important in the next couple of verses, the enemy soldiers actually came out of the city to fight the Israeli army. Uriah the Hittite was killed, and this is the other thing that we need to pay attention to here, along with several other Israelite soldiers. So this is one of the things. Our actions, when they have consequences, they don't just hurt me and you. You know, they, they, they hurt all other people. And so just to kill Uriah here, David had all his own soldiers killed. So his, his you know, obviously there's always the risk of losing soldiers in, in war and in battle, right? But these guys did not have to die. They died in order for David to be able to cover up his sin. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messengers, report all the news of the battle 
to the king. And this is where it gets interesting because normally you wouldn't want to go and give a report like this. So, hey, we really messed up big time in this, in this campaign. But, he says, he might get angry and ask, why did the troops get so close to the city? Right? You, I mean, why would you purposely send your soldiers that close to the city walls when the army is out there with you? Right? You didn't get close to the city walls unless you were actually sieging the city, trying to take it over. Didn't they know that they would be, there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Ambalek, son of Gideon, killed by Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? That's an interesting situation right there. I don't, know, I don't think it plays out in, in to what the background of that story is, but obviously a woman threw a, a, a grindstone or a millstone down from a wall and killed a guy with it. So it's like, didn't we, haven't we seen this before? Why would you do that again? Why would you get so close to the wall? But, or then, because, you know, he's going to be mad because of this report. Tell him that you're right, the, you're right, the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said, and as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. So at this point, David has gone from not being where he's supposed to be to lying, committing adultery, getting a man drunk, trying to cover it up, to finally murder, and not only murder of just Uriah, but the murder of his own soldiers. All because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. So David obviously is going to be mad, right? This is a horrible campaign idea. Who in the world's idea was it to do this kind of thing? You've lost this battle. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. All right, oh, that's okay. Yeah, y'all messed up. But let's just try a little harder. You know, do a little bit better next time. Because he, he, he accomplished what he knew he set out to accomplish. He did not care that he had his own men killed. He did not care that he lost the campaign. All he cared about was killing Uriah. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband had died or was dead, she mourned for him. So she went through the mourning period. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of, the, one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased. And the New American Standard has said that the Lord saw what David had did was as evil. He was displeased with what David had done. So the story doesn't stop there. This, this, this chapter right here basically is the turning point for David and, and his kingship and, and his life. From this point on, it goes downhill very fast and, and, and pretty brutally, actually, if you read through the, ne the rest of 2 Samuel. But the point is, actions have consequences. 
Now, in today's society, a lot of times that doesn't seem to be the case. There seems to be, to be a lot of things that you can do without consequences, but in the end, they still have consequences. David, the, the consequences of David's actions, to sum it up, is from this point on, Samuel comes to him, explains to him, look, I know what you did. God knows what you did. And basically lets him know that there's going to be turmoil and fighting in his own house from this day on. And it goes through. His, his, the, the, the baby that Bathsheba has that they got pregnant with ends up dying. His own sons end up trying to kill him, take over his throne. His sons get killed. I mean, it's just a horrible situation for the next few chapters after this. And this is, this is the truth. Our actions have consequences. So how did he get there? How did David get to where he is the man after God's own heart, to where he is forcing a woman to have sex with him, lying about it, killing her husband to try to cover it up, and then killing other soldiers along with him. All right, we don't, we don't just wake up, like I talked about earlier, we don't just wake up. I don't wake up tomorrow where I'm living a, a moral life today, and I don't wake up tomorrow and go and, and plan out a, a murder of people, right? Typically, we don't go off the deep end like that. How do we get there? How many of us do that? How many, if any of us may be in a, in a leadership position, you know, and, and maybe we can, there's, we're tempted to use that leader, leadership position to do things that you normally wouldn't do maybe, right? It kind of goes to your head. You become arrogant. In this case, honestly, it seems like David just became lazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's not like, you know, this is the only one. So, so you know, it, it was that, that to me adds to it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like some lonely old guy that's been alone for 10 years. I'm, and I'm not excusing, I'm just yeah. saying. No, I agree. You know, his is inexcusable in that regard. It kind of goes back to absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. When you yeah. have that kind of power over people and you let it go to your head, how many religious leaders have we seen, maybe not the, the murder part of it, but the, the, the sexual side of, of a moral, that tends to seem to be the one that, that gets most of them, right? You know, or how many have we seen, or people that we've seen and we know end up embezzling thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars from a company? You know, how many of us have 
how, do, how have we gotten to the point on, on social media where you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? How have we gotten to where we have such a lack of empathy for some people? How do we get into, you know, look at the, the current rate of the, the pornography addiction that we have in our country right now. We get there one small compromise at a time. We slowly say, oh, this is okay, right? Or this won't hurt anyone. This, only, this, is, this is myself, right? I'm, I'm doing this in the privacy of my own home. This isn't hurting anyone. Good. Americans, when back in the 50s, and I know some of you don't even know about that, but back in the 50s, there were certain things that were taboo. And now, it, whatever you want to do, uh, as Marvin's preach, you know, go and be happy. That's what America's a warrior about is being happy. And we don't stop and look at the morals and how it's coming on to our children and our grandchildren. It, it's really bad, and we've accepted it. Yep. We haven't stood up against it. We are slow to admonish as Christians in the proper manner. And that works in the Bible. In the I, I, th I think so. I think there, but I, I think... It's just kind of a counterpoint. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I, I, I agree with it. But the, the thing is, is, all this stuff that we're seeing now that's in the public and, and open eyes now, it's been going on since the beginning of time. Right? Just back in the day a little bit, it was, we didn't talk about it, right? It, <laughs> we, we don't do this. This stuff happens in private. Now, it's more public and people are, do, are doing a lot of it in public. You know? No, no. It, things are more in our face, right? And, and that's the truth. And I, and I think that's a little bit of what makes what a lot of what we are seeing worse is because it is so in your face. Everything is so in our face, right? This thing that David did, no one in the world had to know about it except for a couple of people, right? But Samuel knew, or God knew about it, and so God sent Samuel to take care of it, and he did. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, Nathan, I'm sorry. Yeah. Here, here's the thing and the point of this, and then, and then I'm going to hit, hit on some of the, the sin aspects of kind of what Diane's talking about. The good of the past doesn't make up for today's mistakes. So it does not matter. David was, was talked about as a man after God's own heart. That did not matter after all this happened. And it's going to be the same thing. Now, there's forgiveness. I, I believe if you look through this chapter and on, David was forgiven for what he did, but he suffered the consequences of it. And we still do that to this day. All right, so it does not matter how good you've been in the past. If you still mess up and you still become morally compromised, you're still going to suffer the consequences of it. 
real quick yeah. along these lines. In Hebrews chapter 2, he being written to a persecuted church, uh, they were starting to forsake the assembly for one thing, because they were being persecuted. But, but the apostle says in chapter 2, verse 1, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. If you mm -hmm. look in the Greek, that word drift means that you're sliding down that stream so so easy you don't even realize it yep. at first. My fear, just one example, up to date, a lot of people have had forced to be home and watching us on live stream, and they are today, and I thank God for that. But I've talked to some that's kind of gotten the idea that this is okay and I can continue to do this even after this COVID-19 crisis is gone with and that this is just as good as coming together as God's people on Sunday morning. Yeah. And see, that's one little bitty compromise that you're talking about. One compromise at a time, and that's the way the devil works, and we got to be careful about that. No, I, I agree. I, I agree with that. And, that, and that's something that we, that's, that's those little things we've got to watch for of, well, I've been doing this. And, and, and again, we, we've used what we have for, for the situation that we're in, but definitely once we can start coming back, everyone should start coming back. Now, if you have medical legitimate reasons why you can't, then definitely you, you should stay home. But no, this should not be a substitute for your everyday gathering. I think the Bible speaks to that. There's a reason why we gather and assemble a, a, as a group of Christians. You know, it's, not, it's more than just worshiping God and being here to worship. It's, it's to build each other up as well uh, when we do that. But to this point, and then to, to kind of what Diane was talking about here a little bit, where does sin always start? Who said it? Someone said it. In the mind. Right? It's a small thought. Now, a lot of times, or most, I would say almost all the time, we can't control these small thoughts, right? Sometimes these things just pop into our heads, right? You see a beautiful woman walking down the road. You see her, oh, wow, she's, she's very pretty, right? You know, you, you see a, a million dollars, and you're like, man, that's, that's a nice million dollars, right? You see a nice car, oh, that's a nice car, you know? So you, you see those things, those small thoughts pop in your head. Then what happens is it becomes a recurring thought. Man, that girl really was good looking. Man. Right? Ah, I really would like to have that money. How I you know. Right. That's a good that's a good analogy. Right? So it becomes a recurring thought. And then what happens? You start to imagine what it would be like. Ooh, man, it'd be nice to. Go after that girl. Yeah, envy, lust. Or man, I, what can I do to, how, how can I get that money? You know, there, there's got to be a way. Then after that, you, you start to imagine after it a little while, and then you start to take action. Well, you know, that girl, she flirted with me a little bit. I, I might flirt back some. You know, what, what can I do there? A harm. You start taking action. Oh, I, it's only $1,000 that I stole. No one's going to notice that being gone. You know, and you get caught up in, in, in these actions and you continue to do these things. All right? So how do you stop this? Where do you, where do you, where do you stop this? Huh? At the get-go, right? You might not be able to control that small thought that happens. Even the Bible refers to that, and we're going to look at that, right? But you stop it at that small thought. You don't continue on. You don't keep going. 
And if you look in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says here, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What do you got to do? Take every thought captive to the Lord. That might be a lot of full-time job for some of us, right? Maybe that's why the Bible says pray without ceasing. Because there's things we're going to see. There's things that are going to tempt us. You know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff out there in the world that's going to want to pull us into this direction like David did. It's so easy to get caught up in that. And so if we're not taking every thought that we have and taking it to the Lord, then it puts us at the risk of doing something like David did. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Yep. The, the more you got God's word in you, then your your thoughts are our mind's gonna occupy something. Yeah. And and the more we have God's word or spiritual things in our life, the less we're gonna be thinking about these other things. Not that not that the devil can't cause that beautiful <coughs> athletic woman to come along, yep. you know, but but we got to like you say, and Barney Pipe would say, nip, nip it in the bud, yep. you got to stop it there at the, <laughs> at the thought, right? So here, here's my thing. And, and I hope some of us will, will, will take this and, and really and maybe build on this a little bit. Live as, what you do, live as if what you do in private will be made public. I... I uh, it's very real, and on the other side of that too is it seems like anymore the things that we used to do in private we, we put out there uh, for everyone to see anyway. So, but no, even, even to this day, live as if what you do in private will be made public. I think that's a good motto or, or, or thing to live by anyways because if you don't want to do it in public, then you, if you don't do it in private, it's going to help you save you a lot of heartache probably. But guess what? It's going to happen anyway. Luke 12, verse 2 and 3. Now, I don't know how this is going to happen. Our scholars don't know how this is going to happen. But Jesus says, The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. So not only is it everyone going to know about it, the next verse, Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. So live as if what you do in private will be made public because it's going to be anyways. And, and I think maybe that's part of what, you know, I think sometimes we think what we can do, you know, the things we do in private, you know, maybe those websites I go and look at or, you know, those things that I, that I do, you know, in my, my own time or, or the, you know, the stuff that I do at night behind closed doors or even during the day that no one knows about, you know, the things that I've stolen or, you know, the, how corrupt I can be on certain things, maybe the lies, you know. I know a lot of people who just constantly lie and they, they, they do a good job of fooling a lot of people but it's only going to last for so long. Even if you go the rest of your life 
and you lie like a sailor dog or whatever they the terminology is there. It's cuss like a sailor, lie like a dog. And no one ever finds you out your entire life. Guess what? In the end, they're going to know. All the things that we do. Chad, you're going to get this. I'm sure that God sees it all as soon as it happens. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I was, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, we may be worried about, we may be worried about what others may think of us if they found out the things that we're doing. But like Dad just said, God knows it as soon as it happens. God knew exactly what David was doing while David was doing it. He knows what we do when we do it. But the thing is, and I, I just want to go back to this, live as if what you do in private will be made public. And I think sometimes, and I think sometimes this is why social media gets so bad, because you know we're behind that keyboard. Even though it, what we say and what we do becomes public, I don't think a lot of times it, it registers in a lot of people's minds, because you are kind of by yourself, and 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 you're 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 hidden into this thing, or maybe you just don't care. I don't know. But I, I think that's one of those areas where. We've allowed, we've kind of slowly sold our souls to this, I don't know, I don't even know what to call it, of one being right or throwing things in people's faces or not acting the way that we as Christians should act. You're hidden behind a screen. Yes. Because you wouldn't do that to that no. person normally. I mean, people won't go up and say things to a person's face <laughs> they will say to them online right. behind a screen. Right. Yeah, you're not going to walk up to someone's face and, and, and say some of the things that you, you put out there. And so this is where, and I always come back to the, the love side of things and, and how we are. This is one of the compromises I think we've made. In, in being Christians and and. As a church and as Christians, one of the compromises we've made is we've given up the Great Commission. We've given up going out and, and, and tra- really trying to, to bring others to Christ. And, and what we've filled that with is other religious things that, I, that I've talked about in the past that, they're, you know, that are important, but we've made the things that aren't as important more important than the mission that we're supposed to be on. And part of that compromise is, is, you know, a lot of times in the church we've internalized ourselves. We, we, everything kind of comes about, about, about by me, about me, you know. What can the church do for me? Not what can I do for Christ and for others. And, and I think especially with a lot of the things that are going on in the, in the world today, one of the compromises we need, to, we need to get rid of is the lack of love and the lack of empathy that we show to others. And, and I talked about that a, a couple of series ago, and, and, and I want to emphasize on it too, is we're not going to get anywhere unless we put ourselves in other people's shoes and bring them to Christ through doing that. You know, it's easy to be, a, I say it's not easy to be a Christian. It's easy to be a Christian and to kind of judge people from outside. Right, we can cast thrones from, from our buildings or 
from our houses on how people should act and how people should be doing and what we think, and we can post memes about how people should be and, and all that stuff. But until we actually get out there in the world, and that's one of the things I think we, we've compromised ourselves on, right, is, is we've become comfortable sitting in here and talking about Christ and, and talking about the things that we need to be doing and, and stuff like that. But we haven't really gotten comfortable enough, and we'll never be, it's never going to be comfortable, but comfortable enough to go out into the world and start bringing people in. Go ahead, Troy. I love that. I love that. And, that, and that's, I hope we get there one day as, as, a, as, a, as a church as a whole and as Christian. You know, there, you got riots going on. You got buildings burning down. And you've got a church in the middle of the street with, a, with a, one of them water troughs baptizing people in the middle of the street. That's where we need to be. In the war zone. Yeah. century church that's literally what they that's did that's literally they what they did much persecution yep and did that yeah they themselves are being killed and we're still doing it so that that's my push is is you know and i know it's not going to happen overnight we're not going to wake up tomorrow and you know you, you one of this one of those things when you slowly become and pull away from something it's going to take a little while to get back to it sometimes but that's where i, I will hope that we'll we'll get to and we'll and we'll see of the things that we can do. So next week, the title for next week is Me Time. And we're actually going to look at how do we get to this point, right? How to, do we build ourselves up to a point? And we're actually going to use Jesus' life, an example, and the things that he did. Not the stories he's told, but the actual things he did. And we're going to look at his human side and how he was able to go through his entire life without sin and, and put himself on the cross and we're going to look at the things that he did in order to do that. Uh, time's up. Thank you.